Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Today it is my uh, pleasure and a privilege to welcome uh, my good friend Steve Harris. We are here at the best ever uh, conference. Hi, Steve. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here with you. This best ever conference is the, we, this is the first time we've ever um, attended the best ever conference. It's an amazing conference, amazing people, an amazing audience. I really, really appreciate Joe Fairless and his team putting this together because it has really brought some attention and awareness to our products and services. Thank you for uh, th that summary of the event. It is an amazing event. Uh, it's our first time here. Uh, we do have a booth and um, we are attending sort of as VAP uh, folks and uh, there's a lot of interesting discussions and presentations, and um, uh, I, I find that these type of events, especially large events, they're a little scary. There's so many people here, but at the same time, uh, there are a lot of great sessions, great speakers, great networking. So it, it's been a fun uh, uh, first couple of days. So uh, what have you what have you observed? Uh, you've talked to a lot of people coming to the booth. I think one of the things that is, you know, due with the current economic environment that we're dealing with and just sort of the upheaval that we're seeing with the way things used to be and all of the changes, I think investors are looking for educational type content and to help them reassure, you know, the people that are, that they're investing with are actually being able to provide the returns that they can, that they're saying they can do. And actually, you know, prove results and actually deliver those uh, investment returns and percentages that they're looking for. So I think that, you know, as an audience, they're hungry for knowledge, they're hungry for their experience, and they're hungry for information. And I see that most, you know, all of the exhibitors here providing that kind of educational content that the investors need in order to make the decisions that they need in order to give themselves the best return and put themselves in the best position possible. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, a lot of folks who are speak, speaking at the event, and they provide some great um, educational content and some great thoughts. And uh, I'm going to kind of jump into a, uh, an interesting discussion I was listening uh, to yesterday, and there's nothing particularly um, strange about it or particularly surprising about it, but a great question came up. And the question came up, does the inflation cause real estate prices to rise or to fall. So they had a de uh, basically a debate on the subject with one team pro and the other team against uh, hmm. the subject. So um, I'll give you the conclusion <laughs> and then I'll give you a little bit of uh, uh, some key points on both sides. Uh, and the reason it's important because it's a very hot topic. Right now we're dealing with uh, inflation that's uh, causing pain. And, and uh, what does the Fed do about it is they're raising interest rates. And because they're raising interest rates, uh, there are a lot of concerns that the real estate prices may fall right. in the short run. But in the long run, in the long run, typically inflation is a great friend of real estate investment. And one of the most important points was what happened. Do you know what happened during the uh, sort of 70s and 80s inflation? Uh, what did happen to rents? I don't know what happened. What happened? Rents went up something like eight or nine percent a year on average on uh, 
multifamily housing, which was fascinating. Hmm. So your average rent growth is 2 or 3% a year. But during the periods of high inflation, um, multifamily housing has done really, really well and rent growth has been strong. So that's what deflation does to, uh, to rents. But in the short run, the interest rates rise way faster than the rent growth, and that's the problem. So um, uh, the, the story is that if you can survive as a project or as an investment, the short-term volatility of these uh, jumps in interest rates as a result of inflation uh, and, and can persevere until uh, the interest rates cycle back down, then uh, most of these investments should do really well. This is, so this is a critical point because uh, most investors are not investing for short term. They're investing for multi-year. And um, uh, by the way, what do you think is a good time horizon for most investors to think to invest in real estate? Do you, have, do you have a number in mind? How many years? I mean, I've always thought that you need to be, you know, it's a long-term game. To me, a long-term game, you're looking at at least four to five to six years, and that qualifies as long-term. You're not looking for a short-term game with a 30, 60, 90-day, you know, that kind of rapid appreciation. That's exactly right. I, I think the same way. Most of the projects long-term, to me, starts typically um, four years or more. Five years is typical for a lot of projects. Six, and there's some investments that go seven, ten years, but that feels long. <laughs> the moment you talk about an investment that takes uh, seven to ten years, people get a little turned off. Uh, majority of folks can actually tolerate um, four, five, six years. That's that's normal. So I agree with you. And generally speaking, uh, for most periods of time, other than really extreme peaks and extreme uh, val valleys. Um, five, six year horizon is good enough to uh, persevere through whatever short term volatility exists as a result of interest rates spiking the way they have spiked. So that was the discussion point. There were very different, you know, many arguments, um, pro or cons. I just wanted to give a, a summary of uh, the key points. The team that won was the, the, the team that uh, voted for or, or advocated for the fact that inflation causes real estate prices to increase. Hmm. And some really funny jokes uh, about um, when you buy an old car, uh, whatever the number, whatever the dollar amount, say you bought it for a used car for $10,000, five years later it's worth $2,000. But you bought an old house, uh, five years later, if you say that you bought an old house for 300000 and five years later it's worth 450000 so there's something about real estate, and the biggest benefit of real estate investing, it's a great hedge against inflation. So when inflation is high, real estate is generally happy in the long run. So for the short run, we're going to deal with a little bit of volatility. This is a year of high uncertainty, uh, a lot of concern. The Fed action uh, has been, you've heard me speak about this, too fast and too furious. Right. Right. And uh, they were asleep for a while, and then they, they, they pushed the rates up uh, like there is no tomorrow. We went from a ZERP to 5% rate virtually over one year, which is uh, which is a lot. That's a lot. So do you see, you know, while, while we're you know, talking about inflation increasing the real estate prices, which actually seems a little counterintuitive, um, and also increasing the rent rolls, do you see short-term 
real estate asset prices decrease in the short term? So, Steve, that's a great question, and the answer is yes. A lot of people are expecting uh, short-term volatility to be substantial, and the prices soften up in many markets and many um, asset classes. Now, there are different asset classes, different projects, and uh, different locations, but um, the concept is pretty straightforward. What happens when the interest rate rise? Uh, quite often, uh, the problem could be not a project-specific problem, but a sponsor-specific problem or an operator-specific problem. Uh, if the projects were acquired, one of the key points that came out in this conference, and this is common sense, it's pretty obvious, the majority, wide majority of the value-add projects uh, across the United States, maybe multifamily, storage, industrial, office, which is kind of not a good place to be now, but um, shopping plazas, if there's a good value-add component or a strong value-add component, uh, they were acquired with the short-term bridge loans, typically two to three years to execute the value-add strategy uh, and then to refinance. So some of them bought with variable rate mortgage but with a rate cap, kind of an insurance policy. So when these rate cap expire or mortgage matures, the new interest rate that kicks in is substantially higher. And this is the biggest problem it's going to cause massive grief for some projects. So um, a loan could have been obtained, say, one and a half years ago on a two-year value-add project at the rate of 3.5%, and now it needs to be renewed at 6.5%, It's a double payment. And even if the, rent, the rents have grown by 20 30 40%, we still have a much bigger cost of, of debt service than the rent increase. Uh, so that, that's that's what's going to cause pain points. A number of projects going to need liquidity uh, in the form of additional capital raise, maybe capital call from to existing uh, investors, or some some uh, bridge debt to keep them afloat until the time where uh, the rates cycle back down and they can refinance at a uh, with a lower interest rate. Alternatively to that, these projects will have to be put on the market to sell. And uh, the concern here is that um, the amount of debt that's maturing is going to be large. And if you look at the number of projects that are salv salvageable, that number relative to the total number of projects is uh, not as high as, as I would like to see. So a lot of projects are going to be what is basically unsalvage unsalvageable. Unsalvageable. <laughs> it's a big word. <laughs> uh, what it means is just... You, uh, they are basically either upside down from an equity perspective. Uh, there's not enough equity to raise additional capital, or they're just bleeding cash, and, and investors just not going to give them additional capital to survive. And what happens? The bank's going to take it, and there's going to be increases in bank uh, foreclosures and bank REO, REOs, and that is expected to weaken the prices of many assets simply because these interest high interest rates. Uh, making it very difficult for many products to survive um, on a cash flow basis. Um, and, and one of the other important points is, or questions, when will the rates cycle back down? Because right now they're still rising, right? Fed's still on a mission to curb the inflation. And they're also dealing with very low unemployment. So they're not going to stop rising. Uh, well, they'll stop raising interest rates once they, they reach their terminal velocity. At this point, it's believed to be 55 to Maybe it'll expand to 6%. We don't know on a Fed funds rate. 
uh, but they're going to keep it at that level for an extended period of time. And that's, that's the biggest pain point. It's not the fact that it's gone up a lot, but it's the fact it's going to stay high for long. With that pain and with the volatility in the market and with everything, you know, where these distressed assets are, that could also create opportunity, do you think? Yeah, no kidding, no joke. That's, 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 everybody's at the conference is salivating. It's almost like people are saying, well, uh, right now we don't want to write the check because the deals are not attractive enough. The sellers are not capitulating yet and the buyers don't want to pay the prices of yesterday's when the interest rates were low. So the expectation is in the second half of the year, much better deals will be coming for fresh capital. So the excitement is coming from the fact that if you have fresh dollars to invest, they might come into distressed project projects at the great price point when the rates are high. And if you think about it, the good old rule of real estate investing that I learned many, many years ago, buy real estate when interests are high on a relative basis, right? So interest rates are likely going to peak out by, I don't know, middle of this year. The Fed may do another, they got three meetings between now and, and end of June, and they likely push the rates up uh, at least three quarters of a point through uh, three quarterly increases. Maybe there will be one uh, half a percent increase. Uh, but the point is that they will they will peak. The, the rates will reach terminal velocity, and then they should be cycling back down when the inflation is under control and unemployment is uh, substantially higher. And that uh, people have come up with this magic date, 2025. If you have an existing project, you got to have it survive until 2025. The belief is in 2025, uh, the Fed will start uh, loosening. Can they start earlier? They can, if things turn to much worse economically much sooner. Nonetheless, for now, the, the general consensus uh, is that uh, you got to survive the storm until 2025 if you have existing projects. But if you are new money, that's the opportunity between second half of uh, 2023 all the way through the end of 2024 is when really juicy deals are going to be available. There's some things that are that are being banded about in some of these different articles talking about some of the commercial office space that's out there and converting the commercial buildings into short-term rentals or multifamily uh, housing and things like that. In my opinion, I always thought that was a difficult project to execute because you almost have to gut that commercial space in order to do that. What do you think about that? So theoretically, it's a, uh, I would almost call it politically great sounding idea. Take these all dysfunctional, gigantic buildings and turn them into apartments or short-term rentals or long-term affordable housing. Idea is wonderful. Implementation is incredibly hard. It's going to need massive tax incentives. It's going to need, it's going to need um, sort of public-private partnerships. So it, I think the idea sounds great on, in theory, but in practice it's very, very difficult. What I think is much more practical, and we've seen this already, what has worked is conversion of hotels to affordable workforce housing because they are naturally suited. They already, plumbing is there. Electric is already there. The problem with offices conversions is they don't have the infrastructure. You have to you have to do a lot of plumbing work. You have to do electric work. There's, there's a lot of hard costs that, that need to be uh, spent on office conversion to multifamily uh, or any kind of living 
versus uh, hotel. So the the hotel strategy continues to be something we've been investing in, and it'll continue to be a good strategy uh, as it's a much easier, faster conversions as long as uh, cities want it. Some cities have had have seen enough of it and they don't want it anymore. It's kind of interesting. So conversion ideas, conversion projects make sense uh, if uh, you could get easy path to get them approved and also you can get easy execution path. Uh, we do need more affordable housing. That is, the country has a crisis of affordable housing. So the idea sounds great. Um, uh, you can make the argument you can buy these distressed offices at a phenomenal price. Yes, from that perspective, you can get a bigger discount on uh, office space. Nonetheless, the conversion itself is going to be really, really hard. So it'll come down to the price. Yeah, it's, it's an expensive conversion because of how much you have to gut that property. Touching on workforce housing, we to see some weakness within the single-family housing market and things like that, you know, because we're not building starter homes or things like that in workforce housing. So what's a way that we can not not necessarily incentivize, but, you know, help out that sort of situation, more workforce housing, more starter homes and things like that? Well, it's a difficult problem in many markets. And uh, many cities require new construction projects have certain portion of the units to be effectively called workforce housing or affordable housing. It's almost a requirement. Depending on the city, some cities will require 10%, some cities will require 20%. So new construction uh, projects do provide some of these affordable housing units. And again, affordable housing is... Is a broad term, but let's just say they're less than the open markets. Uh, many cities uh, restrict. It's kind of a funny how what, what happens. Cities implement uh, rent control or formal rent control, uh, and that what's really amazing is yes, th that uh, that type of an exercise uh, can cause uh, the prices to be low for those rent controlled units. But it makes it very difficult for the market to uh, basically uh, provide more stable pricing. It is almost counterintuitive, but the rent control under some circumstances cause real estate rental prices actually spike because the units that are rent controlled, they were sold below the market uh, that um, they basically destabilize the market. They consume a certain amount of inventory which would otherwise be on the market. So uh, affordable housing uh, has a big shortage, and in my view, rent control, rent stabilization actually hurts affordability rather than helps affordability. And then obviously the initiative is to convert some hotels or some other um, existing structures into workforce housing with the right government incentives may be the way to go. Anyway, we just got a great friend. Um, Jimmy, how are you? Good, very good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you, Jimmy, uh, for joining us. So, Jimmy Shields uh, is joining us on this podcast. So, Jimmy, how are you enjoying uh, the show? How are you enjoying the Best Ever Conference? It's great getting to catch up with old contacts like you, learn some new things, and uh, and also develop some new uh, some new potential business, which is always a good thing. That's really awesome. So, Jimmy, tell the folks a little, little bit about you and what you do and you are in the single family built around space so how is that space doing yeah we our main focus is building 
new construction, investment property, and high growth markets in Florida. All residential, you know, single family, duplexes, and quads. And uh, it's done remarkably well through this last, you know, increase in interest rates and economy issues. You know, we've had a little bit of a stronghold in Florida that I'm, I'm very grateful for. So, you gave us a couple of great nuggets. One, Florida, magic words. For some reason, there are recession. What recession? Florida, not possible. Yeah. All those people from Northeast moving to Florida has made Florida recession resistant. We had quite an interesting situation, as you know, Mike. You know, a lot of people where we grew up just saying, I think we'd like to move to Florida for different reasons uh, through the pandemic. And during that time when all these people wanted to come, it took us a longer time to do construction. So that wasn't enjoyable, but it's nice to see the backlog that's still needed for housing. And that's a simple supply and demand that's definitely in our favor. So, yeah, I'm actually excited about the fact that Florida continues to do really well. Uh, it's a, a lot more business-friendly state, leaving politics aside. Yes. Uh, a lot of people just prefer nicer weather. <laughs> nicer weather. Yeah, and, and as a landlord, you know, this isn't really politics. This is just every state has their own landlord policies. And if you can't collect rent, I don't think that's really good for your uh, for your passive income playbook. That's right. So a lot of the product you produce, you build, uh, gets sold to investors uh, as built to rent. Yeah. People buy it and then they rent it. So uh, one question is, what has interest rates, these rapidly risen interest rates, done for your business? And you alluded to the fact that you, you, your asset class has been resilient. It, ha it has been. You know, and we still will do some retail sales, but our specialty, our niche, Mike, as you know, is working with investors. I am one. That's how we developed this whole build-to-rent system where, you know, you and I came up in the, the ranks of the foreclosure world, you know, doing bulk foreclosures. And I have a lot of the older houses, but working with investor clients, you know, the new construction just gives less headaches, less maintenance and repairs. It's, it's just a better overall, I think, play uh, for what people are looking for. And we, you know, we became into that focus to make things easier. Uh, and, and, you know, the interest rates didn't make things easier for a little while. You know, I'd say mid last year, everyone came to a kind of a screeching halt. You know, the summer, which is normally a busy time, was slow. And then into the fall, we saw something happen. First, you know, not, not by a ton, but enough, the material prices came down. And so did come some of the labor prices. And then uh, we were able to start offering incentives. So, you know, for our niche, Mike, it's all about producing a, a, a rental yield, a cash flow. And so what we started to do is we started to offer some incentives, some closing costs to help buy down the rate. You know, we, we offer management, so we were doing incentives of two years of free monthly management. And we start to do that. That goes right to the bottom line to get the yields where they need to be for our investors. Uh, so we had to adapt. We had to... Um, go back to a lot of our suppliers, you know, where we had to really ride up with them. As you know, I know you felt some of that. Well, we had to go back and finally the tides have turned a little and said, okay, you're going to have to come down on that pricing for the supply, for the work, uh, and they're working with us. So between that and uh, offering incentives, the interest rates definitely through last summer slowed things down, and then we started to see a revamping uh, going into uh, the fall. Uh, this quarter now, you know, the first quarter of 2023, we're on track to have our best quarter since Q4 of 2021, which, as you know, is still a pretty strong market uh, in all ways in Florida, at least. 
Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. That is amazing that the Q1 started really well for you. It uh, has. Almost a, almost a big surprise because the rates have, um, have been high. And then, and especially recently with the with inflation data coming out to be very um, uh, sticky. Yeah. It's been it's been a challenge, and and uh, I guess your incentive programs the the, uh, the called the two and two two years of free monthly management two percent uh, of buyer closing cost crediting it has helped I guess it's it's, it's gotten enough uh, gets the numbers back into line you know because the thing where we're not selling to retail buyers who are looking for a nice place to live in the right area with the schools. You know, we're, we're working with individual investors who want to build a small portfolio, and they need to have some sort of cash flow to start off. That's right. Uh, and so, although it's not as big as, let's say, you know, six years ago, or certainly not ten years ago when you and I were doing the foreclosures, the 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 returns are still there uh, to a good level. And and again, I know you and I, I think we see eye to eye on this. I'm I'm one of the people that I believe you're married to the property, but you're only dating the rate. Um, there's a lot of, you know, different opinion on this, but I think that the Fed's going to have to realize that they've overcorrected. Uh, so I'm hoping for a, a refinance on some of the newer properties I've bought, you know, sometime in the next 24 months. So that's a great point, Jimmy. We were just chatting a little bit about some of the um, information that I've heard of this of this event, that the rates are uh, probably going to be pretty sticky through the end of 2024. Mm. So the magic number is 2025 when the beliefs are that the rates will start cycling back down. And, yeah, that, that's the power of uh, buying um, now. If people can still get a good enough deal today with high interest rates, then when the rates cycle back down, you can always refinance. So you're yeah. right. Uh, you're marrying the house, but you are dating the rates. So. Yeah, exactly. And and with marrying the house, too. And, again, going back to our, our history of working together, there's just when when markets go down or go sideways or go flat, maintenance and repairs with rental property is absolutely a pinnacle category that you have to look at. Right. And from what I've seen from my old properties to my new construction properties, I know I can weather the storms much better with the new construction because I don't have these surprise bills. It's what I call the three-year curse. I know I've talked to you about this. Look, I could do new roofs, new heating and cooling, new plumbing up great kitchens, baths, everything with the old properties. But somehow at year three, the maintenance and repairs went up. And we're seeing with the new construction, you know, being nine years in on this now, that three-year curse hasn't struck because we're able to start right from the beginning, build them in a certain way that wasn't being built back in the 40s and 50s. And so I think one of the biggest important things of holding power is your your uh, vulnerability or susceptibility to maintenance and repairs while you go through this flat parts of the market. Yeah, Jimmy, it's a great point, and I can tell you this: um, having bought a bunch of turnkeys from you in Jacksonville—that's <laughs> uh, many years ago. Yeah, many years ago. I've done well. I'm grateful for the opportunities uh, to, to buy from you, and I have observed that three-year thing uh, many times. So all the properties, no matter what you do with renovations, uh, they will need more work. And I had a rule of thumb: whatever cash flow you collect from these old turnkeys. You have to take a third, maybe even a half of that cash yep. flow and set aside in the, in the CapEx account because these repairs will come in. Yeah. But on a new product, it's drastically different. Very different. And if, if you build them right uh, for long-term uh, stability, at least, mm -hmm. 
first you said five, ten years of maintenance free or maintenance, you know, very low maintenance. Very low, yeah. Yeah, it, it makes a difference. You, it you, you can actually plan predictably on the new product and very difficult to plan predictably on older product because things break on an older product. Yeah, so. yeah. And the nice thing is, as you see now, you know, the four renovated foreclosures have done well for you and I. Uh, but when you and I were sitting down for the first time 10, 12 years ago looking at these properties, the rents we're getting today, we would have never thought. That seemed like a pipe dream. Like, if I, we said 10, 12 years from now, this is going to be the rent, we'd say, no way. There's no way. So that, that initial, that, that takeoff period of growth is so important to plant the seed. And I've just decided, Mike, why not plant the seed where there's less maintenance repairs along the way of that first, you know, five years when it's really taking hold? Um, and I guess you'll get the equity as well, but I don't want the maintenance and repair, and that's why I want new construction. Yeah, it makes total sense. And previously we were chatting about the fact that um, the question was, does inflation cause real estate prices to rise or to fall? Mm. Right? And, and what, what is your opinion on this? Depends on the, the higher the price point, the worse it falls. That's what I think. Uh, because the, ex the the exposure, when inflation happens and if rates jump, well, then affordability goes down and, and the amount of the payment. So I think the, the mortgage on a, for 150000 compared to 450000 is going to have a difference. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think what I'm hearing from you, and this is the, 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 the general consensus yesterday, in the short term when the rates spike, it causes uh, prices to contract. A little bit on the higher end, especially. Yeah, on the higher end, of course. On the higher end, it's, it's a lot more painful and impactful. Uh, but on the long run, inflation is, is your friend. That's I like, think so. It's a it's a big friend of real estate investors, especially rents. Especially rents. I remember one of the first mastermind groups we were in. There was an old timer. I can't remember how old he was, but he was he was investing in the in the seventies, early eighties. I think he was in his forties at that time. And he said, I just had a, a bunch of little houses that were getting $350 in rent that, you know, within a short time frame of seven, eight years, they were getting $750. And that sounds like a little bit of money. But when you start to look at rents actually doubling, um, that's where I see inflation being our friends. If you are looking for rental real estate with cash flow and you're locked in at fixed rates, that's a really good thing. Yeah, those are the key terms, the fixed rates. If you're locked in fixed late rates long term, the rent inflation during the periods of accelerated inflation uh, is a humongous friend. Yeah, so, big time. Yeah. Uh, any other final thoughts uh, on the uh, on the conference? Uh, just any, any anything else? Uh, we're running out of time. All good things must come to an end. So the final thought, Jimmy. Yeah, I think the thing about real estate and real estate investing, uh, it, it is... It's going to feel like an Oprah fire hydrant at first, and then you start to catch up with it, but you're always going to be learning. I mean, here you and I are, however many years later, still going to events, still going to masterminds. It's a continual learning thing as long as you're going to be in the game. So my overall thing is I got a lot more to learn. I've learned a lot, but I have a lot more to learn, and I'm going to keep learning. Thank you, Jimmy. Great, great wisdom. Uh, Steve, any other quick comments? No, I think that, you know, it's it's exactly what Jimmy said. It's always, you know, because you're always learning and you're always learning new things and learning new tools to use. As long as you keep a learning mentality, you'll be okay. You will be okay. Yeah, live and learn. That's 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 the whole life. And 
I love to crack this expression because uh, I, I always think about it. Every time you invest uh, or every time you learn, the question is, are you learning to invest or investing to learn? It's always both, right? Yeah. Very good point. Very good point. Appreciate you, you gentlemen having come on the podcast. Uh, excited to be here again at the best ever conference. And uh, until the next time, thank you all very much. Thanks, guys. Good to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's Slot Name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.